Hello and welcome to this edition of The Heart Podcast. I'm Dr. Alistair Lindsay and today we'll be discussing a paper entitled Type 2 Myocardial Infarction in Clinical Practice. This is a paper recently published in Heart that came from Uppsala University in Sweden in collaboration with the Karolinska Institute and I'm delighted to say that the first author, Dr. Thomas Baron, joins me on the line now. Hello, Thomas. Hello, thank you for the introduction. Well, thank you very much for your paper, which we, we greatly enjoyed here at Heart. I think this is something that's uh, very important to discuss because since the universal definition of myocardial infarction in 2007, we now have essentially five different types of heart attack. And in your paper, you were looking specifically at the difference between a type 1 and a type 2 myocardial infarction. Could you just remind us at the beginning what the difference is between a type 1 and a type 2 myocardial infarction? Yeah, definitely. I think it's the most important case in this topic. It's not so easy from the beginning because the definition was introduced in 2007 and then updated twice. But I think that the background to the definition is the same. Uh, type 2 myocardial infarction is something else than type 1 because this is not thromboembolic event we are talking about. So we are talking about not thromboembolic events leading to the situation that we have elevated need or decreased supply of oxygen to the myocardium leading to the necrosis. But the other components of the definition of myocardial infarction are still the same. So you, you need to have some symptoms and you need to have some imaging or ECG data saying that, that you are dealing with a myocardial infarction. Okay, so that's interesting. So the mismatch between myocardial oxygen supply and demand is what causes a type 2 myocardial infarction. What sort of conditions do patients tend to suffer a type 2 myocardial infarction as a result of? We can differ from the clear reasons like triggering mechanisms and those that are not as clear that different pathophysiological mechanisms can be present. The most common triggering mechanisms in all previous published, even smaller studies, were tachyarrhythmia or bradyarrhythmia, shock with blood pressure fall, respiratory failure, or there are some controversies about conversions about the other triggering mechanisms. Definition called multifactorial, like congestive heart failure, patients with, uh, for example, kidney disease, some kind of neurological. Diseases like stroke or SAH, or for example, also very, very commonly pointed out, Takotsubo cardiomyopathy. So the definition is not very clear. Of This is why we decided to pick up and study this problem in more details. Absolutely. And, and to do that, you looked at the Sweetheart Registry, which uh, we have to mention in fact, uh, regular listeners of the podcast will know we've mentioned it on a number of occasions before, but it really is quite impressive that so much data is so cleanly collected. Can you just tell us a little bit about the Sweetheart Registry that you used? Yeah, absolutely. The Sweetheart Registry is a nationwide registry in Sweden, which was launched in December 2009 after merging the other registries like Cardiac Intensive Care Registry called Rikskia, Cardiac Intervention Registry called SCAR, Secondary Prevention Registry, CESIA, and so on and so on. There are five or six components of the Sweetheart Registry which were put together and now exist as one registry comprising more than 500 variables containing information about baseline patient data, 
hospitalization and also follow-up information. This follow-up information, which is very important for us studying and looking at the prognosis, coming from merging of the, the sweetheart registry with the other mandatory Swedish registries, which most important one is the National Patient Registry that includes the information about uh, mortality. Yes, so a huge amount of information and something that makes a study like yours very doable. So you looked at the year 2011, and as you point out, there were 20,138 hospitalizations with a diagnosis of acute myocardial infarction in Sweden during the year 2011. Can you summarize for us what you found is the difference between type 1 myocardial infarction and type 2 myocardial infarction cases? What were the differences between the two? We tried to keep us close to the definition and analyze the patient due to the factors we can obtain or variables we can obtain from, from the registry. We found that in our study that the population with type 2 myocardial infarction was older. It was higher prevalence of female sex. The patients had more comorbidities, mostly previous myocardial infarction, higher proportion of congestive heart failure, higher proportion of impaired renal function, higher proportion of anemia, and it was generally sicker population. At the same time, we found that the patient developed small extent of myocardial necrosis when we looked at the maximal concentration of cardiac troponins. So that's interesting. So the myocardial infarctions were smaller. And one of the things you also point out is that more patients had normal coronary arteries. But interestingly, uh, it was still more than half of the patients with a type 2 myocardial infarction who did have coronary artery disease, which I think is relevant because you also found that these patients were less likely to undergo an angiogram. Yeah, I think that coronary artery disease presence or, or not in, in this population can be crucial even in, in future studies. It has been published and discussed that about 50% of patients with uh, type 2 myocardial infarction can have normal coronary arteries or at least uh, non-significant stenosis. So we were especially interested to look closely at this population. But the problem with type 2 myocardial infarction population is that that in pretty many cases, the coronary status is unknown. So we tend to do emphasis uh, angiography in one third of the patients with myocardial infarction or less when you look uh, at the other studies. So the conclusion that 50% of those patients uh, have normal arteries is not always and not necessarily true. Okay, so that's a very important point to make. Thank you. But you also looked at the treatment of the type 2 myocardial infarctions, and that also differed compared to type 1 myocardial infarctions in terms of medical therapy. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. That's definitely right. We noticed that the patients with the type 2 myocardial infarction in smaller classical secondary preventive treatment, a lower number of patients with the type 2 myocardial infarction, for example, uh, receive ACE inhibitors, beta blockers, and uh, statins. Lower percent of, of, of those patients receive antiplatelet drugs. Interestingly, a higher number of patients with type 2 myocardial infarction receives, for example, oral anticoagulants and diuretics. But it depends on the, on the higher uh, prevalence in this group of both atrial fibrillation and congestive heart failure. I see. And then the final point to make is that you also notice different mortality, and by that I mean crude one-year mortality, but that didn't pan out in a multivariable adjustment. That's right. 
The crude mortality was higher, more than twice higher in the population with type 2 myocardial infarction. But after adjustment for the confoundings like uh, sex, age, the classical ones, comorbidities, and uh, treatments, the significant uh, difference has disappeared. And we can say that the adjusted mortality is pretty the same in both patient groups. So you followed up to one year. I presume, will you be following this cohort through for long-term data? Yeah. Until now, we have followed up those patients in 1.9 years. Follow-up time is ranging up to 3.8 years. So we have new data that we are going to first uh, come out with during the EC Congress in London this year and then probably publish. Fantastic. Well, we will all look out for it when the ESC comes to London this year and Heart BMG will be there at the time. And we look forward to that data. Tomasa, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much.